0: Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And then they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves, But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the grass, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. It's always important, and I think especially uh, in a difficult time like our own, to be in God's Word. If we want to learn how to be compassionate to our community, as God's community, we have to commune with Him, we have to listen to what He's got to say. So pray with me as we go to God's Word. Lord, we need You to speak to us this morning. We need You to speak from Your Word, that we might learn more about the rich grace of Jesus. Grace enough to change our hearts, to provide for the guilty, to shore up those who are hard-pressed. Grace enough to fill even the hungriest hearts. And we ask that you would give it this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you notice the imagery of food is throughout this whole passage. And it's fascinating to think about our habits with food. Uh, Maybe some of us are not proud of our habits with food. I don't know. I'm a part of the Clean Your Plate Club. Uh, This is the way I've always eaten. Nobody had to guilt me into cleaning my plate. The reason I, I almost never leave anything on my plate is because I had an older brother. And by the time I was in middle school, he was a teenager, always looking over my shoulder. You gonna eat that? You gonna eat that? So out of spite, out of sheer spite, I was gonna clean everything off my plate. That's why, and to this day, I've got this weird habit. I just, I hate leaving anything behind on my plate. It's a problem. Uh, maybe I should go into counseling for it. I don't know. But the uh, the reality is, we all have. Habits around eating, and they say different things about us, right? Your eating habits might communicate something about your status, your wealth, your refinement, maybe your practicality. Maybe they say something about your experiences growing up and what you expect. Maybe you're super disciplined. That says something about the way that you see yourself. Maybe you really have a hard time being disciplined. And that says something about the way you see yourself. There's a whole host of different things we we kind of can observe about one another. And the lens through our eating is one of those lenses that kind of clarifies something. But what Jesus is getting at as he sees this hungry crowd is their most basic needs. So we'll see first about our hungry hearts. We'll see second about the, our compassionate host. And third, the food that he gives for our souls. Think about our hungry hearts for a minute. Notice what Jesus does. He He's picking back up. Last week was a bit of a parenthetical story in, in Mark. Jesus... Uh, well, people were reflecting on who Jesus was as a prophet, and then they're and then we sort of leave the main storyline, and we're told about the fate of John the Baptist. But just before that, in verses one to thirteen of this chapter, Jesus had sent the disciples out on mission. So, as it opens in verse thirty, they've just returned from that, and they're telling him all about what's gone on. And they're tired. But Jesus' fame has only grown. In fact, their mission has contributed to that. Jesus is getting more and more popular, so they're exhausted and they come back, and there's not relief. In fact, there's more demand. There's more to do. They don't even have time to eat a meal. And so Jesus tries to take them away to someplace quiet, go out into the desert and get away from the crowds, but of course the crowds find him and they follow along. And this is a spontaneously formed crowd, as you can tell, right? Nobody has anything. They didn't bring any provisions. So they end up out in the wilderness with no food and no water. No one's made any preparations, except in John's account of this, we find out there's one boy who brought these five loaves and two fish. There's one kid who thought to bring anything. Everybody else just showed up because they were so desperate to hear what Jesus had to say. And verse 34 is so important. It's such a telling verse, right? That Jesus, when he sees the crowd, has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's not a very complimentary image, actually. It's, it's kind of common if you've been around the church to know that we're referred to as the God's sheep often. But that is not really meant to be a compliment to you or me. Sheep are not particularly bright. I don't know if you've had a lot of experience with them, but literally all sheep do is eat. They don't really do anything else. They just wander around and eat. They eat one tuft of grass, and then they find the next one, and then they eat that, and then they eat the next tuft of grass, and they eat the next tuft of grass. So if they're not penned in, or a shepherd isn't keeping an eye on them to call them back, they just wander off, just following the grass just following literally their empty stomachs all over the place. They're going to go wherever it leads them, and they're not even going to know it until they've wandered off and they're lost. They're driven by their hunger. And that is what the crowd is like. Jesus' disciples are hungry too. They don't have time to be fed. But, but they're both hungry in slightly different ways. But what we see is this theme of these hungry hearts, right? They're desperate. They're desperate for relief. They're desperate for a word from God. They're desperate for something. And desperation looks like a lot of different things in our lives. And it kind of looks, you know, it changes. There's different temperaments that we have, different qualities of relationships, different patterns. There could be even intersections with mental health issues. There could be all sorts of things that inform what your desperate heart looks like, what my desperate heart looks like. But we're warned over and over again in the Bible to be careful of assuming we know everything that's in somebody's heart. Proverbs chapter 14 is a really kind of an interesting chapter. It's that section of Proverbs that's just one verse at a time, just different Proverbs. But in close proximity, in Proverbs 14.10, is this verse. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. It's a lonely heart. Three verses later, in verse 13, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. All over the place, the Bible is warning us that our hearts are hungry. Our souls are hungry, and we are desperate to fill them up. A desperation can, again, like I said, look different. It can, be, it can be real despair. That's probably the easiest to see, but it's the hardest to deal with. When you feel crushed and weighed down, again, it may, may well intersect with Depression, it may well intersect with any host of different issues in your life. But that sense that you cannot find relief, that meaning is lost, and even the things that should have some meaning in your life seem to just be drained away. You can also be the person who's constantly at the party, who's constantly staying busy, always having fun, and that's that's not as easy to see. But, of course, what you're doing is you're trying to convince yourself that if I'm always having fun, I must be whole. I must be happy because I always seem to be having a good time. And, of course, what we're also doing is staying busy to silence the voice that this may not be enough, that this isn't enough. And then a lot of us are somewhere in the middle. We're more, maybe we're more steady state maybe we're a little less risk of we're more risk averse you know we're not so sure we want to we want to go out and uh spend all our time kind of chasing after something we haven't sunk into despair but there's always that nagging voice we're plugging through our relationships and our jobs and that nagging despair that's always just on the periphery of our the sight of our souls It's that little hum in the background of our hearts that this isn't right, that something is missing. And the reality is about when you're hungry enough, you will eat whatever you find. This is true of any animal, but it's especially true of the human heart. And when we go long enough without being fed, we will eat whatever we find. However unhealthy, however unsatisfying, whatever it is to get a little sense of relief, a little sense of significance, a little sense of love, we will eat it. And of course, it is out of the hollowness of our hearts that all the horrible things pour If I can uh, switch metaphors for a minute, a few years back, I guess Stephen Hawking and the group doing research with him on black holes discovered dark matter radiation that was coming out of it. Now, this is quantum mechanics, so don't push me too far on this metaphor. But they discovered that there actually is something that escapes a black hole, right? It, It is radiation that, again, makes sense in mathematical terms, though it's hard to actually measure or define what it does, but there is something that escapes from it. And that is what our hearts are like. What escapes from the darkness, the hollowness of our hearts, is all the horrible things. And I think this week we've seen that on display, haven't we? We have seen somebody who was entitled try to ruin a man's life Because she was called out on not following the rules in a park. We saw someone slowly, publicly, squeeze the life out of a man. We've seen the obvious ways in which this is drawn along lines that are based on the color of your skin. We've seen those who have taken advantage of peaceful protests and turned them into riots. We've seen all these different ways in which the ugliness seeps back out of the hollowness of our hearts. Augustine described this. The great church father, Augustine of Hippo, famously wrote in his Confessions, he opens it, or at least in the opening paragraph, this is the line that our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Talking to God. And this is what he saw was that it was his own restlessness. It was his own emptiness that had him seeking after all kinds of lusts and angers and obsessions and all these other things because he was desperate to find a love that satisfied. Our hearts are hungry. And that's what Jesus steps into. Notice that he is the compassionate host to this meal. He's seen the disciples. He's seen their need for relief. And he's seen the crowd who saw them scattered around needing someone to care for them. And his heart has compassion for them, pity for them, sympathy for them. His heart's engaged. And that little line about Jesus being like a shepherd who saw these scattered sheep calls up a whole host of Old Testament imagery that God is like a shepherd. There's a couple of places that are obvious. First off is Psalm 23. That's probably the most obvious place. It's probably the most well-known psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's worth reading that through. and Think about the context here. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You notice the turn; it's about sheep, and then it becomes about a feast, and then it becomes about dwelling in God's presence. A maybe not so well known place is Ezekiel thirty-four. This is the middle of the prophet Ezekiel. He's a pretty late, he's late, uh, a late prophet. He's the people are already in exile in Babylon. And in the first half of Ezekiel 34, he indicts the political and religious leaders who are supposed to be like shepherds for the people, instead identifies them as wolves who are preying on the flock and have scattered it. And then God says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is, cut, when he is among his sheep, That have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the stray, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them with justice. And you might remember in John 10 that Jesus elsewhere says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Even when Jesus pushes his disciples here, he does it in order to show them his heart for them. You notice that little a little uh, back and forth between the disciples. They say, uh, Jesus, it's, you know, look at the time. We've we got to go. We've got to send all these people away. It's getting late. There's 5,000 of them. And actually, that's just the men. If we, we don't even know the full size of the crowd. It, you know Some scholars think it could have be, been five times this, up to 25,000. I, I don't know. But an enormous crowd. And Jesus knows that there's nowhere for them to go. It's already evening. There's nowhere for them to go, and the disciples are like, "We don't have that kind of money." A denarius was about a day's wages for for the average worker. In other words, this is two thirds almost of their of a salary for somebody for the year. You know, they're like, "We don't have that kind of money. Like we're, we we can't just go spend that money. What are you What are you asking us to do?" Jesus is pushing them with the absurdity of his request in order that he can show them compassion. And this is why the life of Jesus itself is so important. We often, and it is really important that we understand the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, but why his life is really important. Because Jesus has compassion on us. One of my favorite shows from the last couple years has been uh, the show The Good Place. It's a comedy on MB- that just wrapped up on NBC. It's a weird show. It's not for everybody. I get it. Um, and I won't, give you any spo- I won't really give you spoilers. I'll tell you what happens in the opening scene of the pilot. The, this woman wakes up, the, the main character of the show, Eleanor, and she's supposedly in The Good Place. This is not a biblical cosmology. But uh, she wakes up in The Good Place, but immediately realizes she doesn't belong there. And I won't tell you all the different twists and turns that happen along the way, but what's fascinating about the show is that while the answers it gives are not all that satisfactory, it really probes the depth of the human experience and asks really hard questions about what does it mean to be a good person. And again, I don't necessarily like a lot of the answers they come up with. But at one point along the way, they one of these kind of immortal beings that they're dealing with decides, as they're talking with her. It's, she's played by Maya Rudolph, you know, who used to be on Saturday Night Live. Um, played by Maya Rudolph, and she decides she's going to go down to Earth and check it out. And she gets back, and she's like, that was rough. Earth is a mess, y'all. She goes on, tells them about going to different places, Tanzania, Paraguay, Vietnam, Denmark. She said, it's terrible everywhere and always in a different way. The only place I liked was Hawaii, although I barely left the resort. The last place I went was a Black Friday sale at an outlet mall in Michigan for the deals. Earth stinks, y'all. It's hot and it's crowded, but somehow also cold and lonely. And that is the world into which Jesus entered. Hebrews 4 reminds us that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. That what Jesus did was enter into this world and endure the hot crowded cold loneliness of this place what Jesus did was enter in experience the hollowness of our existence now without sin and imper- imperfectly but actually in some ways that only heightens the point That Jesus didn't try to seek cheap answers. That through his whole life, he pursued the Lord. That he was perfect. And that's why Jesus has compassion on us, because he knows. Jesus knows what you endured. Jesus knows what loneliness is like. He knows what frustration and anger is like. At least the besetting situations that so that draw out those feelings. Jesus has been tempted in all those different ways. He remains sinless, and yet he knows the challenges of a human life. He bore it up. Even if you're thinking... I've experienced injustice. So did Jesus. Even if you're thinking, well I know what it means to be poor. To live on the edge of a sustainable life. So did Jesus. Even if you're thinking I but I've had the, I just kind of lived through this drudgery. Jesus was a carpenter. Even if you're thinking, he doesn't know loss. He was separated from the Father. A more profound love than any of us have ever known. Jesus has compassion on you. Jesus knows what you've experienced. He sees even the loneliest, hungriest heart. And if you're afraid to slow down, even to explore what that means, I'll tell you that Jesus is waiting there. If you're afraid to look at the hollowness of your own heart, Jesus is there. And he sees you and has compassion on you. Which gets to our last point. He doesn't just see you, he feeds you. And this is what Jesus does. He sits everybody down. And this is, it's hard to summarize all the symbolic stuff going on here. Let me try a little bit of that. He sits them down, verses 39 and 40, and organizes the people just like Moses did in the wilderness in Exodus 18. As they're wandering in the wilderness, lost, seemingly, he, he organizes the people. Just like Through Moses, God gave bread without limit in the wilderness in Exodus 16. So Jesus gives bread without limit. And everyone eats till they're satisfied. In the memory of that bread given from heaven was sustained in the temple where they would lay out 12 loaves of bread every day on the tables in the temple one for each of the tribes of Israel, to remind them of what God had provided. And they don't just collect 12 loaves, they collect 12 baskets full. Jesus has more than enough for the crowd, more than enough for his anxious disciples, more than enough for the clamoring emptiness of their stomachs. You know, a funny fact about this, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. The only miracle that Jesus performed that's in all four Gospels. I mean, I guess the resurrection's there, but that's somewhat categorically different. But the, uh, but the, <laughs> but the only one that Jesus performs here with two others is this miracle. And in John 6, when he does it, That leads to a conversation where Jesus says, I'm the bread of heaven. You have to feed on me. You see, Jesus' love for them as a shepherd, Jesus' provision for them as the bread of heaven, leads him to a place where he gives everything that he has for them. Jesus provides everything we possibly needed. Do you need relief? Does your heart need relief? Jesus has everything that you need. Do you need justice? Jesus provides it. He has proven that he has that he, is dealing with, he came to deal with sin at the cross and will one day judge it? God has not forgotten about justice. Do you need forgiveness? Jesus will forgive even the greatest sinner because he has already dealt with your guilt. On the cross? Do you need the courage to be vulnerable? Jesus can hold you up. There is power enough in Jesus, He will never turn away from you. Do you need to know that you're loved? What kind of love is better than the one who would give his life for another? See, the love of God is not like ours. As Martin Luther put it, the love of God doesn't find but creates that which is pleasing to it. He doesn't find that you're lovely. He makes you lovely. There is nothing that Jesus will not do nothing that he has not done, to give you what your heart needs. The love of God poured into it by the Spirit. This is the love enough to satisfy all of our guilt and all of our shame, all of our anger, all of our fear. Jesus is this kind of gentle, compassionate shepherd. This kind of host who gives you everything that you need. Even more than you thought you needed. Jesus has it all in store for you. So if you're tired, if you're hungry, then come to him. And he will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we know that our hearts are hungry for many things. They seem to want so much. And yet the one thing that they absolutely need, the thing that will fill our hearts, is your love given to us through Christ, by the power of your Spirit. So give it, we pray, in abundance. For Christ's sake. Amen.